The Marvel Mutant Massacre map. See who the new X-Men will be. X-Men number 210. X-Factor number 9. X-Men number 211. X-Factor number 10. The New Mutants number 46. The Mighty Thor number 373. Power Pack number 27. X-Men number 212. The Mighty Thor number 374. X-Men number 213. And X-Factor number 9. Learn the fate of the angel. There's a massacre beneath the streets. Follow the action through all of these issues. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I'm Jeff. And I am Rick. And I am Miles. Jeff and Rick, Jeff and Rick, what do you see? I see random banter looking at me. Random banter, random banter, what do you see? I see Jeff and Rick talking about me. Random banter time, guys. Tell me some stories. I think you have been telling way too many stories to your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I really have. That is the uh, late, late, late nights of just, so we're reading another book or the same book over and over again. (laughs) That book sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, Brown Bear, Brown Bear. What do you see? That's what it is. That's, I knew that one. Okay, well, after that, you can move on to, okay, maybe not this issue of the Power Pack for for a young child. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't wait to show Carrie this one. She hasn't read this one yet. Oh, really? Yeah. It's going to be an interesting interview. It will be an interesting interview. Mm -hmm. But we have a new voice. We do. We need to start off by introducing our guest, Miles Stokes. From Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, welcome! Hope you survived the experience! Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's really exciting to be here. You do a cool show about cool comics, and I get to be on it, and that's pretty rad. That is really cool. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. It should be a lot of fun. Or it won't be. Who knows? We'll find out in the future. This is really kind of cool, because Jay and Miles are the ones who I first started talking to, and they told me about the show at the Comic-Con, and I said, well, I don't know if I can listen to any more podcasts. And then I said, hey, I can listen to a whole bunch of podcasts, and I'd like to try to do what they're doing. And then I did the show. And now my hero is on the show. Not only that, that my hero is in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel very flattered, perhaps. I don't know if I, if I deserve that much praise, but, but I'll certainly take it. Well, I'm waiting for the continuation where he's like, my hero is chained to the foot of a bed. Listeners, help. Call the police. <laughs> Ixnay on the aisle bill a <laughs> hey what, have you ever heard of the cask of amontillago <laughs> oh, i just need to do some wall building real quick you live here forever i knew this would happen someday <laughs> but in all seriousness yeah, it's, that gypsy was right <laughs> it's, it's really flattering to you know to know that this show uh, that jay and i were able to to be an inspiration for it in in some small way like that's that means we're doing something right. Like, cause obviously we want people to like our show, but if they can get inspired a little and do their own stuff, like that's even better. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think there was a uh, thread one point in time of all the different shows that started because of your show. And I think you guys were both like, this is too much. It was very humbling. Yeah. Really. You guys kind of set the bar for what a good quality show is, what a good fan community is how to really do deep dives into these comics, into this, you know, not only comics, but into the entire milieu of everything that that comic represents. And it's really cool. I I don't think that 
we would have had the nerve to ask a creator if we could interview them without hearing you guys go, oh yeah, we're going to talk to Louise Simonson and casually mention Power Pack. She was so excited when she heard someone was doing a, a podcast about, about her book. Kind of flipped out when I was listening to that show. I'm just sitting like, ah, Cindy! <laughs> yes. So welcome, welcome, welcome. This is going to be great. We have you on because we are going to be talking about a Power Pack issue that not only has got X-Men content in it, but it's dealing with one of the first and, and definitely a very important crossover that the X-Universe gave us. Oh, yeah. The uh, Mutant Massacre. That's what started it all. That's what gave us Fall of the Mutants, Inferno, the Extinction Agenda, the Mirror Island Saga, Executioner Saga. I, I could go on, but then Please that don't. would be the whole show. And Age of X-Men. Okay. <laughs> it's very important it's very shocking uh crossover as well because i mean they kill a lot they are not kidding when they say you know mutant massacre i think more people die on this than the fall of mutants uh probably so at least yeah. certainly on panel yes mm -hmm. this is also the uh series where i kind of got back into comics too oh man what a time to get yeah back that in. was a heck of a time where i'm like what's going on why is angel nailed to a wall also <laughs> who are these people yeah so. <laughs> the important questions mm -hmm. Let's just get into it then, but we'll start off by getting a two-sentence replay from the last episode. The powers wrap up their involvement with the quickly concluded Snark Wars and return to Earth to a less than warm welcome from their friends and horribly mistaken rescuers, Cloak and Dagger. While mistakes are quickly righted by the tackling of a scantily clad teenage girl by Jack, which results in them getting a teleport back to their mother and father who celebrate their homecoming with a hot pot of homemade lentil soup. Now that the, well, it just so happens that Friday was only mostly dead, and there is a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Two sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure. My friends. Ha ha ha. I found something that's in poor taste. <laughs> That seems appropriate. That seems right up our alley. <laughs> our alley. The Morlocks live in an alley yes, and they die do. in an alley. So yeah. yeah. So I would like to introduce both of you gentlemen to Level Beer's Fatality. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need to see this. Whoa, that's got it going on. <laughs> Magnificent. Fatality by Level Beer. It's an American Imperial Stout. It's 11.5%. This is their first barrel-aged beer. Fatality is their Imperial Stout. Finish him, which I've got here. <laughs> I've got one one of these, so we can kind of pass these around and try, try that first. Oh, it's the pre-fight. <laughs> yes, yeah, pre-fight. Okay, I'll, I'll explain what the the can looks like here shortly, but that's um, cool. So that finish him is aged in a rare 10-year <laughs> bourbon barrel from Eastside Distilling, and this is a limited beer release. That is cool. The can looks amazing. It is uh, on the fatality. Uh, it is basically it's a bar scene and it is a uh, lumberjack looking fellow who has ripped the arms off of a keg bot. In fact, the uh, keg bot's name is beer bot 4345 and its arms are off and it's spewing beer everywhere. And on the other can, the uh, finish him, it is, uh, you know, it's finish him. It is you got a dizzy beer bot and you got a lumberjack that's about to go to town with his fists of furry fury. So do you guys want to try out what it tastes like beforehand and then get to the what's well, afterwards yeah all right yeah, i feel like we have to way. go in order here yeah right. yeah it smells like an imperial stout here does yeah that's got that old age barrel going on with it mm -hmm. that's usually the thing that it's like oh that draws me to an imperial stout and also pushes me away from it when you go oh that really tastes too much of the barrel well then this one does this one does not have the barrel this is just the straight up imperial stout oh it's quite good no that's oh that's smooth that's got a little creamy finish going on mm -hmm. with it mm -hmm. Uh, I have a solid opaque black glass, so it 
I can't tell well, you what the beer looks like. But. You can, we'll, we'll look through Miles's. And hold oh. it up to the light. There yeah. we go. And All see right. the darkness. <laughs> yeah, see the darkness that Miles holds within his hands. Ah, I knew this day would come. It all begins here. <laughs> this sounds familiar. My dark heart, my dark <laughs> the Miles Stokes story. Yeah. Well, this is a. Uh, it's pleasant. That's it's just very really. Pleasant. That's easy. That is an easy Imperial mm-hmm. Stout. I feel like this kind of fits. I kind of want the second one to be a little harsher, just so that we can go from the easy beginning of this issue to the mm-hmm. darkness that it later addresses. Oh, that is a thing in this too. And I know here spoilers for the future, but do you notice where at you know the creator content page? The what is it? The title page mm-hmm. is right at that turning point of like everything's happy. We're back to the family. All of a sudden, Click. yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So yes, we are into the fatality. I, I think we all agree that this is a good name of a beer for this comic. Yeah. There is fatalities. There is more than one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's even smoother. Yeah, yeah. Got a little bit of a almost tartness to it, but in a mild way. I would argue for the smoothness because the previous one I felt was really kind of creamy, really soft. It was really soft on the tongue and, and the taste buds going down. This has a little bit more of that uh, Imperial Stout barrel kind of flavor going in. It's got a little bit more tang and a little bit more tart. It's kind of got a sort of almost like a like roasted coffee grounds kind of flavor thing. How about on, roasted marshmallow? Okay, that too, which is exactly like uh, the coffee grounds I was talking about. You know, when you make really terrible s'mores with chocolate, graham cracker, and coffee grounds? How do you make s'mores? Because that's how I make s'mores. Okay, well, apparently I'm making them right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now I'm just thinking of the uh, Morlock s'mores, the s'morlocks, if you will, that <laughs> Thor makes in a tie-in, and it's, uh, we're just starting dark, we're starting dark. It's a dark beer. It's a dark beer, it's a dark issue. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just like s'morlocks. S'morlocks. All right, that's the show, everybody. We, we, we have and peaked. We're done. And we're done. We peaked. That's the top. <laughs> and now, the opening credits, if you please. Power Pack, issue number 27, December 1986. Whose power? Credits. Writer, Louis Simonson. Pencils, John Bogdanov. Inks, Al Gordon. Letters, Joe Rosen. Colors, Glennis Oliver. Editor, Carl Potts. Editor-in-Chief, Jim Shooter. Featuring Power Pack. Alex Power, oldest power sibling, disintegrates matter, turning it into energy, which he can expel into power balls. Julie Power, second oldest power sibling, controls her molecular density. Jack Power, second youngest power sibling, increases or decreases the gravity of objects he touches. Katie Power, Youngest power sibling flies very fast, leaving a rainbow trail behind her. Franklin Richards, a.k.a. Tattletail, has the ability to astral project his body and has prophetic dreams. Guest starring some Morlocks. Leech, a disfigured green Morlock who can turn off superpowers. Caliban, he can detect other mutants. Anna Lee, Leech's foster mother. Erg, ape, skids, and uh, tape. Okay, I know most of the Morlocks, and that name is not so right. Are you talking about Todd? Yeah, we don't really use that name, because, yeah. You know, that actually makes a lot of sense. Good call, good call. Okay, then, moving on. We have the X-Men. Well, we have one out of six current X-Men. It's Wolverine. You've probably never heard of him. Don't worry about it. We also have four out of five members of X-Factor, who at this time were... Cyclops, who shoots force beams from his eyes. Marvel Girl, who has telekinesis and not telepathy. For more details, listen to a whole bunch of Jane Miles explain the X-Men. Beast, who is strong and acrobatic. And Iceman, who's, you know, a man of ice, basically. We start with the Power Family and Franklin sitting on the couch, still recovering from their prior kidnapping. Okay, you guys are the Power Pack experts here, but is it normal for these parents to be so casual about their kids having been kidnapped by aliens? Well... 
they have been kidnapped by aliens before, and everything seemed to have turned out okay. Also, Maggie did just get out of the hospital after being mauled by Curse, and the parents have met Cloak and Dagger, and it is New York, and other strange events keep happening around the family, like a giant snake escaping from an aquarium and Jim's former boss threatening the kids with a gun. Not exactly an answer, but I am nonetheless intrigued. Well, Maggie does mention that it is odd that they aren't basket cases right now over the entire situation. I am going to say that they are cool with it because their children are home and safe. Also, they did have that unhealthy dose of brain damage during the first issue of the series. And they currently have popcorn. Everything is better if you have popcorn. As Franklin thinks about how popcorn is his favorite, just like lentil soup, take a drink. The family starts to watch the news, curious to see if there's some report on the alien snark ship leaving Central Park. Instead, the reporter is talking about some strange costume groups fighting. What do you mean, strange? It's just Trish Tilby, who will eventually be the Beast's girlfriend, reporting on the confrontation between the X-Terminators, who are the original X-Men who lead a double life as the mutant-hunting but secretly actually mutant-rescuing group X-Factor, fighting Freedom Force, who are government-sanctioned mutants but actually the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants operating in a pseudo-legitimate front while still being jerks. What?! Uh, okay, I mean, Rick, you know we basically trademarked that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Here's a 20, will that cover it? That will do nicely. Time to get more stouts. In a twist of sibling characterization, Jack is trying to pay attention to the news while Alex pulls a prank of dropping popcorn down his shorts. Get it out, Alex! Jack is really into this. I mean, okay, the news, not the popcorn in the shorts. He is anti-popcorn chafing, as am I, that is no fun. He's also anti-X-Factor and their mutant hunting tendencies. He sees the exterminators as the good guys, which, I mean, fair enough, right? Jack shows some genuine concern for the safety of the Morlocks and Franklin. He knows that X Fat he knows that if X Factor ever found them, their lives could be in danger. But Alex continues to act like a jerk, specifically by coming behind Jack, pulling him off the back of the couch, and causing his younger brother to chase him all around the apartment. As the chase leads to the power parents' bedroom, Jack uses his new powers to degrav Alex, floating him up into the air and swinging him around. All of a sudden, Alex is not so big on this game. He begins to complain about how it is his gravity power and how it should not be used where everyone can see it. It's my power now. It switched to me. And mom and dad can't see from their living room. Our powers are still a secret. Alex rightly points out that they've got to be extra careful now with their powers because somebody might see and call X-Factor on them. Talk about some scary subtext, right? And something that was happening all over the Marvel Universe during this era. X-Factor was a threat, not just to mutants, but to anyone who might be mistaken for a mutant. Good point. It is also the exact same point that Jack was trying to make moments ago to Alex that made Alex make fun of him for being dumb. <sighs> Keep being classy, Alex. Keep being classy. Jack quickly grows bored of his bossy brother's lip and flips him onto his parents' bed. You know, Alex, you stink. Now that the news is over, with nary a mention of any UFOs or anything all that cool, the children are sent off to sleep. After chasing Alex off of his bed, Jack invokes his solemn surrogate big brother duty and says that Franklin can sleep with him. Also sharing the bed with them is an adorable teddy bear. I know this is not technically Franklin's teddy bear, but I just found out that John Bogdanov based all the sketches of any of Franklin's teddy bears on his own son's teddy bear. And that is just awesome and adorable. Aww. Yes, it is. And as Franklin cuddles up with it and closes his eyes, Maggie Power gives him a kiss on his cheek. He tells her that he likes it here and that if he can't go home, maybe he could live with them. 
Good call, Franklin, because let's face facts. The powers are so much better than your own parents. Heck yes, they are. The Power Family watch TV and eat popcorn and are dealing with, like, 70% less aliens than the Fantastic Four. And the Power Parents are actually there for their kids. Wow, you guys are really not Fantastic Four fans. It is truly amazing watching how neglectful they are of Franklin during this era, especially when you consider that he has the power of a god. Funny you should mention that, because after he falls asleep, we get a glimpse of that power. The sleeping prodigy is projecting a scene of something that is happening in the Morlock tunnels. The image is of their friend Leech, a mutant child with green skin, holding up the head of a man who looks to be very injured. Jack and Alex wake up to Franklin's cries and see this dream scene. Jack tries to wake Franklin up. The noise brings the two power girls into the room just in time to see the fading image. Franklin, who's very much awake now, tells the rest of the power pack that he was in a tunnel. And it looked like the war he'd seen on Snark World. With the thought that the Morlocks might be in trouble, the kids start to imagine the worst. Thinking back to the news from earlier, they think the Mutant Hunters X-Factor are behind this. Which means that they have to... Costumes, costumes on! And head back to the tunnels. We gotta save them! Of course, as they fly to their local sewer entrance, the four power children have to take the time to compare and contrast their power changes. Katie loves her new flying powers, and presumably also the cool rainbow streak that she makes every time she flies. I would love that power. While Alex bemoans losing his wings and his gravity-powered flight. So much that he drops not one, but two Gs into the conversation. Take two drinks. Oh boy. Oh yes. Oh Alex, what are you doing to us? Katie points out that Julie hasn't gotten used to her new powers and has clouded right out of her PJs. Jack doesn't get the point of Alex's stupid wings, and Alex, still regarding the gravity powers as his, overdramatically offers those wings to Jack. Okay, wait a minute, why am I the non-power pack expert describing this? I thought I was just here for the X-Men stuff. Well, we have to do the voices. Voices? Now that you're G-Power, these wings could mean the difference between life and death. Look, I don't want... Take them. How would you feel if not having them meant getting us killed? All right, all right. But I'm not G-Power. It's a stupid name. I'm gonna call myself something better. But while Jack is still pondering a new name, and while Katie is directing Alex to power up by disintegrating garbage... I love that power, too. I love all these powers. All of the other kids, minus Tattletail, each decide on a new name, too. I'm gonna be the Destroyer. I'm gonna be Molecula, Mistress of Density. That's good, Julie. I mean, Molecula. What should I be? What about Starstreak? That's what I wish I called myself when I had your power. You see, the other kids seem to be getting what Alex can't figure out about his own former gravity power. The powers now belong to the new owners, and that means that... Yarg! Um, what was that? I would say that it's the story itself telling you to pay attention, but I don't think Deadpool's been introduced yet. Which is probably very much for the best. I would like to point out that thanks to some retconning and some uh, Deadpool issues, I think Deadpool was around at this time, and Power Pack was in that issue. I... I don't know how to feel about that. You can feel bad. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Anyway, the kids head toward the sound, believing that they're going to fight some human mutant hunters. And boy, howdy, are they wrong. We are truly in the mutant massacre. And really, there is only one way to give any background on this. Miles, if you would be so kind. Previously in X-Men, New Mutants, and X-Factor... Go check out Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men episodes 65 and 66. Seriously? That's like all you're going to say? Well, there's a lot there. Uh, plus, it was so long ago, and our episodes sound so different these days. It's all kinds of trippy going back. Uh, everyone should just go listen. 
Aw, come on, please. Okay, twist my arm. To make it brief, Mr. Sinister has pulled together a glam band of evil mutants to slaughter the mutant Morlocks living in the sewers. Why he is doing this is a question for the retconning gods, and honestly is less important than how it's being done. These murderous maniacs, called the Marauders, are killing everything in the tunnels, which is impressive because this includes alligators as well as mutants. Because of the surprise nature of these attacks, and various internal issues with both the X-Men and X-Factor, none of the professional heroes are doing very well. Every interaction with the Marauders has resulted in serious injuries on both X-Teams, leading to hasty retreats. These are less battles and more just... survival. Wait, now this is really sounding bad. What are our sweet, sweet kids doing down in these stinky sewers again? Their track record does not represent a high win-to-loss ratio when encountering unknown entities in these subterranean dwellings. It is too late for them to think about that now, because they, and we, are in it. And by in it, I mean more than stinky sewer water. The first image we see in this comic of the Marauders is Scalp Hunter, who has regeneration and the ability to quickly craft firearms from components on his costume. He is standing on a pile of corpses, shooting anything that is running from him, sitting still, or laying down dying. I'm Scalp Hunter, friends! And us Marauders, we got ourselves a purpose! We're gonna kill, and kill, and kill, till we're the only mutants left alive on Earth! Personally, I think he needs a better purpose in life. Like knitting. Knitting is an acceptable pastime that rarely, rarely involves murder. Nearby, Leech is pulling an unconscious and bleeding Caliban into a tunnel, away from Scalp Hunter's gunfire. The poor little guy is begging for help. Mama Emily, power back, come. And also nearby, flying into the huge Morlock Alley, normally filled with Morlocks, our power pack. Instead of finding the thriving underground community of Morlocks, the kids find only dead mutants and alligators. Man, this is starting to get, like, really real. It is way too dark, and Franklin is way too scared to send out his astral projection. So the shaking and frightened children continue to walk aimlessly, looking for anyone. And who should they happen to find? Sabretooth. This is the first generation Sabretooth, not too long after he was first introduced. He is nothing but a feral man with claws on his fingers and toes, fangs on his teeth, with long blonde hair, wearing an orange body stocking with fur at the neck and wrists, and packing an attitude. And he is jumping down on the kids from a pipe. As the most vicious and deadly marauder attacks, Katie Power flies away with Franklin, Jack jumps in the air, Alex steps back and yells orders, and Julie clouds up. It should be noted that because of these quick actions, the only damage was a tear in Frank's shirt as he escaped. Also, if Julie had not clouded, well, you know, she would have just been, like, disemboweled. It is put-up-or-shut-up time for Alex. All issue long, he's been boasting about how he'll blast his enemies, and now he has a shot on Sabretooth. But even with Jack encouraging him on, he will not unleash a powerball. You're the destroyer, so fire, darn it! Blow him away! I... I will, just... let him get closer... I'm not sure of my aim. This lollygagging and hesitation by his brother Alex almost costs Jack. The blonde beast brings the battle to the buoyant boy by bouncing, then bracing on a block, bearing bothersome barbs before breaching a wing on the boy's bicep. You guys do know that I uh, get paid by each subsequent alliteration, right? Bummer. Holy cow! His claws must be as sharp as Wolverine's! And after ripping one of Jack's wings, Sabretooth dives towards a still-hesitant Alex while Jack yells at him to do something. Destroyer, move! Now he's coming for you! Fire, darn it! Pulverize him! Now! 
No! Unlike the dithering destroyer, Jack does not wait. He slams a double G double knee into the double deadly marauder's double shoulder blades. Well, Luckily, this stops Sabretooth in his tracks and drops him like a wet sack of cats. Huh, that was pretty easy. What's the big deal with this guy? He ain't so bad. And since he was such a pushover, Jack takes the opportunity to ask what was wrong with Alex. Alex starts throwing down excuses faster than a speeding bullet. Wrong property! He got dust in his eyes, and Jack was spoiling his shot, and he got in the way, and, and, and. Ah, uh, silly power pack. This is Sabretooth. Some pathetic powered-up punch won't stop him. And as Sabretooth gets up and dives toward Jack, Alex finally attacks! Shracked. The ceiling. Shram! Sabretooth is temporarily trapped under the collapsed ceiling, and Jack again yells at Alex for wasting a shot. Alex responds with a, It's my power now, and what do you care what I hit? I stopped him, didn't I? Gee, Alex, you used to do the same thing to Katie. You would use her as a weapon and have her powerball your opponents regardless of her feelings on the matter. Faster, Katie. Kill, kill, kill. You kind of have a different feeling on the subject now that you're the self-named destroyer, don't ya? I mean, it could be worse. He could be the destroyer from Thor. That would be even more complicated. <laughs> but the kids are sure that the cave won't stop Sabretooth, and they go flying down the tunnel. They keep running until they hear a... Sneak! And they hear a familiar voice from the shadows. I caught your scent in the tunnels. Sounds like it is, Mr. Wolverine! Aww. What's the matter, Miles? I, I, I usually do Wolverine. Aw, well, well, you two could do a Wolverine off and see who is really the best at what he does. And from the inscrutable looks on both your faces and the fact that I have no good punchline to get out of this failed joke, I will just move back to Wolvie. He looks rough. His uniform is pretty battle damaged. Or he has decided that a midriff shirt is the up-and-coming fashion. Bold fashion statements aside, Wolverine is the best there is at what he does, and what he does is berate young children for being in a murder playground. He tells the kids what they already know. There's a mess of murderers down here killing mutants. Jack tries to argue that they're not mutants, but Wolverine is also the best at being a lawyer, specifically a maritime lawyer, but this probably works as well, even better than your mannequin lawyer, and he tells the boy in blue that the marauders don't make those distinctions. Speaking of which, where is this infamous mannequin lawyer? She gets nervous in front of new people. Creepy and strange, but again, intriguing. The kids explain that they are looking for their friend, Leech, but Wolverine is also the best at being a compassionate communicator. He's probably already dead. Most of them are. And that is the sound to let Wolverine know that his break is over. He can't spend time babysitting these kids. There are marauders to kill, people to save, and a half dozen other books to guest star in. He makes the pints promise to protract their persons from this place pronto. We'll leave. I promise. And with a pat to the top of Katie's head, Mr. Stabby Hands X-Men runs off. The other members of the pack turn on the Rainbow Girl, and they sing... What about Leech? Don't you want to save our green-skinned friend? What about Leech? Don't let him die today. What about Leech? Don't let his life come to an end. He only wants to play. Oh man, Jeff, we have gotta add more songs to Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. That made me so happy! Well done! Miles, I need to tell you, it's a slippery slope to madness and meaty layering. 
Julie does agree that the team should stick together, which actually makes them smarter than, like, the two X-teams in the tunnels who keep splitting up. Maturity through youth, the, uh, not X-Men story. Something like that. Also, we have seen the kids operate a phone, so, eh. Julie also has a streak of democracy and fairness in her, and she calls for a team vote to see if they will stay and find Leech. Okay, all in favor of staying, say aye. Aye! Alex repeats the I, followed by Katie saying I, as in the letter I, and Franklin saying I, as in the I in your head, with a question mark. Ah, visual slash audio humor being explained over an audio medium. I know those feels. Julie, continuing on her politician's route, justifies the vote and her promise by saying that they will leave the sewers. As soon as they find Leech. Jack encourages Frank to really concentrate to figure out where Leech is, telling Frank that he knows he is scared, but providing some good, friendly encouragement. And Franklin does push past his fears to lead the kids in the right direction. But before finding Leech, they come across Anna Lee and some other children. And they are... dead. Lying in a pool of red, shiny blood. Guys, do you realize that this panel shows what might be the most disturbing image in the entire mutant massacre? How messed up is it that this appears in a book about children? It is one of the biggest misconceptions about this title. Yes, it deals with kids, but these are not kid stories. In fact, the kids' reactions to the next page provides an idea of the pain and horror they are processing. Jack has an icy, angry look. Alex is mad. Julie has tears streaming down her anguished face. Katie and Frank have their heads buried against Julie. And this is one of the things that I always want to call out when we're covering X-Men stories, and certainly here as well. The artist can do so much heavy lifting just showing how characters react to things with no dialogue at Mm -hmm. all, and this scene does it masterfully. It's a one panel, and you have so much context in that one panel. It's, It's almost different art from the rest of the book. Thankfully, the story now cuts over to some walking wounded Morlocks. We have Erg, Tape, and Ape, who is carrying Beautiful Dreamer. Walking with Iceman, Cyclops, Beast, and Marvel Girl into the underground entrance of X-Factor, Cyclops is promising the Morlocks that this is a safe place. Hey, those are not one but two prominent Morlocks from The Gifted. But back in the comic, that's enough to both confuse and upset these Morlocks. To the outside world, it's still unknown that the mutant hunting team X-Factor is actually a cover for the original X-Men to find and protect mutants. Thankfully, the phenomenally fashionable Sally Blevins, aka Skids, is on hand to quickly explain this fact to her fellow Morlocks, calming them down and convincing them to accept this assistance. The X-Factor team is not looking well. Iceman can't see, having been blinded by an earlier attack, and the Beast is holding his side, keeping it from bleeding out. Cyclops has a couple of cracked ribs, but he's preparing to go back into the tunnels by himself. Splitting his party like a bad leader in order to find more mutants. He's also embodying the good old Scott Summers trope of punishing himself for the mistakes he's made. But Marvel Girl isn't having any of this. She refuses to let him leave on his own, and Beast and Iceman tag along too, because they all understand that teams exist for a reason. Also, I think they all want... REVENGE! Meanwhile, back in the tunnels, home of the fighting sewer water. The power pack has finally found Leech, thanks to Franklin's help. Leech is entering this particular tunnel, pulling an unconscious Caliban through a pipe. Julie, Jack, and Katie excitedly fly over to the power-canceling mutant. Wait, Leech cancels people's powers! Plop! 
Predictably, the kids' powers all fail at once, and they collapse in a hilarious heap of humanity. Hi, Leash. We're here to save you. Julie and Frank pull Leech aside so Jack and DeGrav lift Caliban. They promise Leech that they will get them both to safety. No, stay. Please, save Mama. Annalee. And now I'm wishing that we'd always done Leech's voice that way in our show. That's a great Leech. But before the kids can break the bad news to Leech... Save someone, brats! Foolish children, save yourselves from the energy weapon of Harpoon! That would be Arclight, Harpoon, and Scrambler showing up, with Harpoon throwing his namesake weapon. And as the kids scatter, the, the energized projectile goes through Jack's other wing and above Julie, Leech, and Frank's head. Julie puts Frank in charge of Leech and moves off to help her siblings. These three marauders are not messing around, folks. Arclight stamps her foot, causing a mild earthquake, sending the kids off their feet immediately. The kids tell Frank to move Leech back, but instead, Frank tells Leech to hide by himself. Tattletail wants a piece of this action. The exceptionally well-dressed Scrambler quickly follows up by grabbing Katie's hand, which scrambles her powers and disorients her. Then he swings Katie into Jack, depositing them both at Arclight's feet. As she offers some minor monologuing and mugging to the messed-up munchkins, Franklin's dream self appears on Arclight's head. He bends down and quickly thinks of what his Unca Benji might say. Um, go back to Yancey Street, ya yahoo. And then he thinks to himself, What's a yahoo? Oh, Franklin Richards, you have indeed asked one of the mysterious questions of the ages. Is it a yummy milk drink? Or a bad Australian comedian? Is it a defunct search engine? Or is it the sound of one hand clapping? Nobody really knows. Arclight is not a deep philosopher, preferring to punch instead of ponder, and she swings at the non-corporeal boy, who blows the creep at Raspberry as he slowly disappears. Julie tries to capitalize on this distraction by trying a Julie hammer, but her chattering allowed Arclight to step back and then backhand the dense daughter of power. This causes two things to occur. The first is Julie flying Zing. into a wall, and the second is Arclight's hand breaking. Hooray! Harpoon follows this confusion with a strike right above Katie and Jack's heads, causing them to fall on the ground and making the siblings sitting ducks. Alex notices and dives in front of the attack, absorbing the animated ammunition and announcing, All right, creeps, make my day. Unfortunately, he is not Dirty Harry Callahan. In fact, he is not even unclean Larry Smith. Alex is more along the lines of slightly dusty John Doe. He's still hesitant about using his destructive power against the bad guys, not unlike his youngest sister's complaint every time she was told to do the exact same thing. So instead, he tries to pull the ceiling down on top of the creeps. But misses. Tracked. Kaboom! The three killers continue to advance, ready to finish these pesky kids. Alex can do nothing until he pulls in more energy, so he directs Jack to find something heavy with which to slam Scrambler. What? There's nothing to slam him with, except me! And with a double-fisted diving gravity punch to Scrambler's breadbasket, Jack takes the marauder down. Jack quickly dodges out of the way of Arclight's double-fisted hammer strike. Whack. Zoom. Winds up a heck of a haymaker. Okay, lady. You asked for it. Wham. And lays out the Marauder's powerhouse. It worked. Wow. Jack is so impressed with his impressive power punch, he is failing to see Scrambler reaching out to him. Shrek. But it's okay, because Cyclops has this. X-Factor has arrived, just in time to watch Harpoon and Scrambler drag their unconscious teammate away. In fact, the wimpy energy javelin toss Harpoon throws to cover their egress is mocked by both Cyclops and Jack. 
I love how Cyclops is shaking Jack's hand and congratulating him on his sweet punch. Game recognizes game. Marvel Girl is checking on Caliban, and Katie is checking on Julie, who is stuck in a small, Julie-sized hole in the wall. Don't worry, she's okay, and quickly clouds out as they introduce themselves to Cyclops. But Leech and Franklin are down the tunnel, foreheads touching, as Leech starts crying for his mama. And now we get to the toughest scene in the whole book. And that's saying something. Franklin is trying to explain that sometimes parents go away, but that doesn't mean they don't love you. Alex and Julie come over at this point and take over. It's okay, Frank. We'll handle it. Listen, Leech. We found your mom's body. Annalie's dead. No, Mama. Leech loved Mama. Mama promise. Stay me. Always. Mama love Leech. Mama love Leech. Mama love Leech. Mama love Leech. And as Leech just breaks down, Power Pack encircles the grieving green orphan, and they just hold him. Cyclops is looking on and draws a couple of drastic parallels to his own life. He recently deserted his wife and child, and he was orphaned himself. He picks up Leech and removes his goggles, which is a really interesting touch. Yeah, Cyclops as a character is often defined by his inability to control or stop the force beams that come out of his eyes all the time. They're always on, and he has a real physical and emotional distance from people because of his fears of losing control and hurting someone. But Leech's power cancels that, and Cyclops realizes that Leech needs more of a human connection now more than ever. Louise Simonson was also the writer of X-Factor at this point, and I gotta say her understanding of Cyclops' character really, really shows through here. Cyclops also promises Power Pack that they will take care of him. They have a number of the Morlocks that he knows at their headquarters. At this point, the other half of X-Factor shows up. Cyclops and Marvel Girl give Leech and Caliban to Beast and Iceman. Iceman is a little shocked to see his ice form disappear as he takes Leech into his arms, but before they walk off, Power Pack says goodbye to their friend. The kids realize that it's getting close to when their parents are going to wake up. They've got to get home. But before they go, Jack quizzes Cyclops on who these murderers are. Because he's sure that they're the mutant hunters known as X-Factor. Cyclops assures Jack, who must be Power Pack's leader, that this was the Marauders. And Cyclops promises that they will try to stop them. The kids head up the access grate to the street above and the early pink of a sunrise. Julie comments on the amazing punch Jack delivered. He admits... He did not know he could do it till he tried. He also shows them something else. How can I describe this? Let's just say that it looks like Jack just invented parkour as he bounces against the buildings and awning, the street lamp, and the roof of a car, easily transitioning between low and heavy gravity control, calling it the jumping jack. Franklin is not too impressed. In fact, this makes him start to cry. What? But that was awesome. No, 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 Jeff. He's just sad about Leech, and he just wants his parents to come home. Well, somebody's sad about Jack's display. Oh, that would be Alex. In fact, as the kids start to cheer up Frank, Jack takes off the now shredded and still smoldering wings and hands them back to Alex, saying, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, Alex is a bit of a sad boy here. He's holding the ruined wings as he thinks about how useless he was as the Destroyer, and about how much better Jack is with his former power set than Alex himself ever was. Next issue... Avengers Mansion, Hercules, the Fantastic Four. Don't miss Power Pack number 28 on sale in 60 days. Hey, guys, 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 guys. Yeah, right? It's Power Pack packaging time. Yes. Awesome. Hurrah. Yeah. I'm as excited as Scalp Hunter is in a tunnel full of targets. Too soon. Yeah, you're right. It is. 
<laughs> no, he was pretty happy. He was very happy. Oh, man, that cop stash he had really complimented his <laughs> maniacal grin as he slaughtered everyone around him. Oh, even just people that were, like, begging for mercy. And the, the one mutant lady is all like, why? He's like, because I like killing, and killing's what I'm going to do. And guess what? Killing's here for you. Yeah. You should really try this sometime, but you can't, because I'm killing you right yeah. now. Hey, lady, watch this. That a friend of yours? Kapow! Now it's a dead body. God, the Marauders are terrible. I will say, to their credit, I appreciate that more than half the team has this sort of off-the-shoulder look where they yeah, have one yeah. bare shoulder. Yeah. They, a lot of them do look really cool. And then... Uh, they got good costumes. Yeah, except for Scrambler, who looks... A little too prototypical 80s and also uh does the thing that i absolutely hate when anybody does which is like the uh the steeping of the finger fingers but dude, that proves yeah, that, that he's evil yeah it's just or like dr strange it's like dude you just suck oh scrambler knows exactly what he's doing <laughs> and he actually does come back in a recent comic i can't remember which because i've been drinking beer before we get talking too much about the yeah. marauders let's talk about this cover okay yeah because this is a pretty cool cover i think yeah it's a great one it is done by john bogdanov and p craig russell and we haven't talked about p craig russell before uh he's new to this book he was around working on a lot of different books and uh and companies around this time i recognize him from the sandman issue number 50 ramadan which he won an eisner for oh man yeah i definitely remember that ramadan issue i was a big sandman fan when i was in high school i still am honestly i should ne probably never read up. a single one. Oh, so. it's great it's yeah. great I, I also remember p craig russell from a ring of the nibelung adaptation he did that was amazing and i highly recommend checking out and also he did some hellboy which is really good so there's that he's done all kinds of different stuff and his name is much much easier to say than bob wyacek <laughs> it is, but Bob Wyacek's name is more fun to say. Bob Wyacek. No, no, you're, you're right. You are right. I'm not going to complain about that at all. Back to the cover, though. We have a cover featuring Power Pack flying in around a column. Yeah, it's a, no, it's, it's a sewer column. A sewer column. Yeah. Uh, we have a shirtless Wolverine that's heading towards Sabretooth, who's in the foreground, and Sabretooth has got Franklin by his the front of his shirt and is about ready to claw him. And it's guest-starring Wolverine and X-Factor, but not at the same time. Yeah. Now, that was a really big deal in the Mutant Massacre, because at this point, the X-Men and X-Factor were not talking. The X-Men didn't know that Jean Grey was back from the dead, and X-Factor didn't trust the X-Men because they were working for Magneto, the X-Men's oldest foe. Right. So basically, there were a lot of near misses during this storyline. There was a lot of them, you know, walking down the hall and leaving, and then the other team shows up in the same hall. And it there was a point, too, where Wolverine is going down one of the, the tunnels, and he's going down the tunnel, I think I think it's with Storm, and he smells Jean Grey's scent, and he flips out, and he knocks out Storm as he goes feral. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so... Got a sense Good of choices. <laughs> Good choices. The 1980s are probably my favorite era of comics overall, but they are really defined by a complete lack of communication wherever possible. Mm -hmm. Nobody picks up a phone. Nobody has a conversation with anybody else that they should. To be fair, to be fair, their their phone was disconnected during one of the many times the expansion was destroyed, and nobody could find quarters. So it's really not their fault. It's just very Shakespearean, where a lot of stuff could be solved with, "Hey, Miles." I want to tell you this thing, this mm, one specific mm, deal. Mm, yeah, mm, it's mm, like, mm. mentally, I'm like, Miles should probably know this. Nah, no, no, I don't no, need no, to. No, no, I'm no. going to fake my poisoning. Don't worry about it. Must build drama. Drama <laughs> is certainly best served by people making terrible, terrible choices. <laughs> this is a good cover. What do you guys think of it? It is a fantastic cover, and it is a bit-ish of a lie. Yeah. When... Power Pack fights Sabretooth. They mm -hmm. fight him alone, yeah. and then Wolverine goes and fights him separately, and 
it doesn't happen like this. But you know what? It tells you what's going on. It does tell you what's going on. Sabretooth's in here. Wolverine's in here. They're in a sewer. It tells you the most important part, which is that Wolverine Wolverine's is in, in this. So could you... Issue. Yeah. Buy this issue. It says, Wolverine's here. Pony up a dollar. Right? Wolverine's here and this really weird guy who we've never seen before. Yep. I mean, if you'd been reading Iron Fist, you would have seen him. You know, I gotta say, though, this is a fearsome-looking Sabretooth. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure that orange is the scariest color, and now I really want to rank how scary different colors are, but the look on his face, the posture he's in, just how sharp and, like, crunched his claws are. Like, he's about to rip out Franklin's heart, and Franklin looks terrified. That's what he should. And, I mean, really, this is this is before we have the completely oversized and over-muscled and totally gross <laughs> proportion characters i mean this is this is a ripped dude here yeah but it's a ripped dude with that is not you know 10 feet tall no <laughs> yeah this was back when Sabretooth actually had a name that made sense he looks very feline very yeah. cat-like and yeah besides that you know you got power pack coming in i, I think it's a well done cover i, yeah, I enjoy this cover a lot let's talk about some more themes in this issue miles how much power pack have you read before this one so I've read a decent bit of Power Pack, but it hasn't really been much of the series proper. I've basically read tie-ins that show up in X-Men or Thor, my two greatest comic book loves, and I've read some of the Power Pack issues that are related to X-Men or Thor. And there are, I'm not going to say a surprising lot, because it makes sense. I mean, Walter Simonson was doing Thor, Louise Simonson was doing X-Factor in addition to Power Pack, but there are quite a few. Basically, every one of the 80s X-Men crossovers... This, Fall of the Mutants, and Inferno has a relatively significant power pack presence. Plus, they showed up with Thor, well, Beta Ray Bill technically, in Secret Wars 2, and they help a little more with Thor elsewhere. Katie shows up repeatedly helping Wolverine out in the X-Men books. So, yeah, pretty much just the overlaps, which means while I know the characters well, I don't really know much about power pack chronology. I think you also mentioned to me earlier that you read Thor and Warriors 4. And it was delightful. Yeah, I've read a, a little. Oh, I've read a little bit of the Power Pack. Pack. I don't know if you want to call it a reboot or whatever. We we call it we call it the alternate universe. Yeah, because yeah. we we are covering that's what it is. Yeah, we are covering that on our Patreon show. So we do one of those <laughs> issues. Plug. Yeah, plug. Buy our stuff. Um, <laughs> Contribute to the Patreon for this very podcast right now. Pause the podcast and do it. Yeah, give us money. Go to that. Uh, go to that episode <laughs> that we haven't done yet, and we probably won't for two years. Yeah, unfortunately, this is the end of that miniseries run, but it is fantastic. Yeah, spoilers. I, I it is amazing. Wait to get to that one. Yeah. That is going to be some amazing stuff because there is some bonkers stuff that goes on. Oh <laughs> yeah. Well, all the Asgard stuff is totally bonkers. Yeah. I mean, working in baby versions of Beta Ray Bill and of Thor and of odin and everybody it's just delightful and the power pack works so well in that context it's just fun and it can all make sense as well where you can just go well it's asgard yeah exactly well, the enchantress oh well loki you just oh, throw those words in and you're like yeah all right yeah sure everybody's <laughs> a frog yeah i'm yeah, down with yeah, that it's all good yeah ragnarok you betcha <laughs> one of the greatest things about thor one of the reasons i am such a fan you just take your suspension of disbelief they have a special cubby for it as you enter a thor book yeah. you just set it in there you can set a lock if you want but most people it's you know don't worry about it <laughs> and that's the thing and that's one of the things i enjoy about power pack if you look at this comic if you look at honestly most comics 
as a jaded, grizzled reader who's like, oh no, if it doesn't make perfect sense, then I'm out. If there's anything that requires me to suspend my disbelief, I'm out. Why would you do things that way? <laughs> Just suspend your disbelief <laughs> immediately. You're going to enjoy things uh -huh. more. Don't you want to enjoy things? Yeah, because it's a source of entertainment, ultimately. Yes, why does this happen? Because this, the plot says that it did. That's why. And that explains almost every TV show, movie, and book. So, right? Yeah. That's why we're here, and that's why we love comics, is because we want to see this insanity that happens. Insanity, not unlike, you, you know, Sabretooth fighting um, Power Pack. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, Sabretooth, really in the X-Universe, in most of Marvel comics, it's, you know, he's the big bad. He, he's killed more things than cancer, right? <laughs> he is probably one of the most terrifying people to be mm -hmm. in sure, the same sure. room as. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, nowadays you kind of look at him, he's been an anti-hero, he's been on the X-Men, his mind was just flipped, and so he was good for a long time. You almost kind of see him now, It's there's not quite the same amount of punch. I really liked him in The, the Exiles. He was great, because he, he, yeah. he was a heroic Sabretooth, but he was still, you know, edgy. But, yeah, he was but just great. Back in the day, and back when oh, we started yeah, yeah, collecting yeah. these, he was the terror in the night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking of Wolverine Volume 2, or the first ongoing, yeah. uh, number 10, where it's all about all of the damage he's done to Wolverine every year on his birthday. He's yeah. just a sadistic, incredibly effective killer. You really got to see that in the uh, Wolverine Origins movie. Okay, that moving on. So, um, <laughs> okay, okay, wait. No, not moving on because I do want to point out. Alex Miles is like, you just wait a second. I'm not going to say it's a good movie. It's an awful movie, but it is a movie that leans so hard into what yeah. it knows it is. Wolverine drives a motorcycle through two separate explosions in like a five minute period, and I have to respect that. Yeah. It's like in Triple X when he jumps over a barn roof, and people are like, wait a minute, and the barn explodes. And it's like, wait a minute, how did that happen? And it's like, shut your mouth. It's an explosion of a barn on a motorcycle. He's going to jump over the exploding barn. That's why it happened. <laughs> I always have to come back to the same principle. It doesn't have to make sense yeah. if it's awesome. If it's awesome, exactly. Can we buy it that they would... Okay, they don't take down Sabretooth, but mm -hmm. they... Uh, delay him. They delay him. I can totally buy that. Uh, kind of an interesting thing on this is because on our uh, Patreon episode where uh, <laughs> it is uh, the power pack with Wolverine and the foe is Sabretooth and that, it was an interesting uh, interaction of those characters and that then uh, was a prelude for us, a kind of a taster of what could come into this and that was a fun thing and this is like, holy crud, Sabretooth <laughs> is a scary freaky uh, sewer man with knife fingers and he's gonna cut us like little birdies and he says weird scary things to everybody the kids have been in the sewers before yeah they have failed every time they've come in here before yeah and so no, they made a grandma one of the last times they were here so this time they went in and once they started seeing the death and destruction they were rank cranking it up a bit yeah. you know everybody except for alex we'll get to that yeah but i do i do buy it so i remember when we briefly touched on this issue in my podcast when we were covering the mutant massacre this was one of my big objections the fact that the power pack took out Sabretooth. And I recognize the Power Pack are quite effective superheroes, mm -hmm. certainly more effective than some grown-up superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot but, of them, surprisingly. Right. But it's Sabretooth. But honestly, upon rereading this, like looking a little more closely at the issue, yeah, Jeff, you're right. They just um, delay him, and that's actually reasonable. Yeah. Right. Like it, It's it's it, not unlike what, what Psylocke does when she fights him. That was and, a great... I was going to mention right. that earlier. That in, was in, great. In, in the yeah. X-Men issue, because she does the same thing. She doesn't stop him. She delays him by kind of throwing everything in the kitchen sink at him. And that's what you have to do because mm -hmm. Sabretooth is pretty much unstoppable at right. this point in continuity. What actually weirded me out a little more was not the power pack surviving Sabretooth, but was them going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Scrambler, Arclight, 
and Harpoon. Those are three yeah. really heavy hitters. Oh, they are. Yeah, none of them individually is as scary as Sabretooth, but together? And I think what's interesting about that fight is they didn't really use Harpoon as much as he should have. Well, they, they took, oh, they, they, they oh, took out Scrambler. They took out Scrambler, and it was mostly just Arclight and Jack going at it. I, I don't know what Harpoon was doing in the background, but, but he should have been throwing more Harpoons. Well, he, he was. What it really boils down to is that they were picking the right combination of rock, paper, scissors. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was along the lines where it was, you know, Harpoon was throwing things and missing because thematically appropriate. So Harpoon was throwing things because, you know, thematically appropriate. But then you have Arclight, you know, super strong punching super dense girl where it's just like, yeah, super dense girl goes flying, but that breaks super you right. know, uh, Arclight's hand. Okay, Harpoon's throwing Harpoon's. Fortunately, energized Harpoon's transmuted into energy and not matter Harpoon's because you know, Alex then jumps in front of it to absorb the energy. And if it was a Harpoon, he'd be like, I got it. Skunk. You know, the last person that tried to do that against Harpoon, uh, she ended up intangible. Yeah, and yeah. then there's what happened to Angel's wings, of course, yeah, albeit that, that's, in a very... That, that was a little bit different. And let's, we can talk about that, too, because we, we want to... We can kick that up a little bit. Oh, we'll yeah. talk about, we're going to talk well, about it. Because I was but... thinking the disturbing scenes. Is the yeah, Annalise yeah. scene mega disturbing, but also the you know Angel broken and nailed to a wall is pretty disturbing yeah. as well. Those, luckily, that's, those luckily, would be, that's those would be the here, two yeah. giant scenes that I would pick out of the and, uh And for people massacre. who don't know... Yeah, spoilers. As the, yeah, as the mutant massacre goes on, there's a few things that really come out of this. Uh, X-Men get messed up big time. There's three big things that happen to the X-Men. Um, Kitty Pride, she gets through um, trying to save Rogue and Harpoon's energy blast kind of hitting them both. She starts to become intangible and you know, she starts to become a living ghost. Nightcrawler gets cut all up by Riptide and... Colossus also gets pretty beaten up by Riptide as well. He gets a lot of shrink in and a bunch of other metal stuck into him, and he ends up having long-term effects from that. So there's three X-Men that get really damaged. The other big damage that occurs is to Angel. Mm-hmm. Right, because he stays behind to hold off the Marauders to help some folks escape and ends up getting just beaten into a pulp and he gets nailed to a wall by harpoons harpoons yeah after like, being bashed by blockbuster i think yeah right? blockbuster yeah. breaks it like individually breaks the bones in his wings exactly and thor ends up saving angel's life but after this angel actually loses his wings they're mm-hmm. so damaged they're gangrened and they get amputated and that gets complicated there's a guy called cameron hodge it's it's a bad time but that's actually what indirectly leads to angel becoming archangel to him becoming the angel of death working for apocalypse so i mean there's a lot of disturbing scenes and i think that between seeing anna lee on the ground with blood coming out of her and the scene with archangel's wings just getting (coughs) broken i think those are the two top contenders for just the most disturbing scenes in this entire run of issues that we mentioned at the top of the show Oh, yeah, it is incredibly dark. I mean, there's been a lot of rough stuff that's happened in X-Men crossovers, but it's seldom been just as in-your-face as it was with the very first X-Men crossover, the Mutant Massacre, right here. They've, they've kind of built upon it. It's like, you know, once you've done, you know, hey, we've done this special effect, how can we top that? So it, they started off pretty high, and they've had to go insane after this. <laughs> but I don't think we've got the real... You, you miss the punch and the, the humanity... The, the mutantanity, I know it's horrible, but you, you miss that because you knew these characters. The X Men had interacted with Morlocks multiple times. Power Pack, this was their adopted grandmother. I mean, you've seen these people, you knew who they were, and you just saw Chris Claremont with a stroke of his pen kill, 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 kill. Well, I think one of the reasons on that is because, uh, 
you didn't know what was going to happen to the characters and also the fact that it was this terrible thing happened and then they held on that for years yeah it wasn't just kind of like you know hey it's secret empire block done now it's cap you know it's it was kind of you know you didn't have these giant Gamera has the infinity stone yeah okay whatever yeah we're just going through this giant crossover event thing and yeah now there's the okay whatever you know it's just we, like we, you you saw like like miles was saying you saw the effects of this yeah arcane i mean warren worthington the angel he changed period oh yeah his character that. changed period from this it all yeah. goes back to here and it lasted for decades right. it wasn't until the last uh, god three four years i think is it, where it still had effect i think this is the longest affecting one i can't remember when they wrote out kitty pride being an intangible ghost but oh yeah no we actually got a question about that and jay miles explained the x-men recently and um it's kind of unclear when that gets fixed you'd think right. it would have been a bigger deal but it, it just kind of like over time she got better right right <laughs> but uh, the, the one person who really had the ongoing effects was probably warren worthington but the fact that there was any long-term effects from this it's kind of amazing that power pack did so well coming out of this. Yeah, they also, they dibbled in and then dibbled out. They, but they yeah. saw some traumatic they stuff. They saw some stuff that would have made me say, well, look like it's time to hit the old dusty road and go home. Yeah, for me. There are, yeah. there are some ways we can kind of figure out the power pack, that the kids in power pack can handle this. They have dealt with a lot of stuff, but we recently found out that part of the gift of getting these powers is that they have an innate healing ability themselves. It's not as fast as Wolverines, but with some concentration, they can heal pretty quickly. Yeah, but we also don't fully know that because they don't really, they touch on it, but they don't they touch, touch on it. They right. touched it, they hit it really pretty good in the uh, Snark Wars with yeah. Katie, but they never, like, they just said, well, she, you know, she fell, she yeah. did all these things, and they said, no, now she's better. But they never super cover it. Where, they they, they get know. a little bit more, I know, during the Inferno run, but I know that it first came about in issue five where. Uh, <laughs> Julie broke her arm because she wasn't paying attention when she was flying and she ran into a wall and she broke her arm. And so after uh, they get back to Earth, you know, her parents are like, wow, we got kidnapped by aliens. That was something. Hey, your arm's broken. They go to a doctor and the doctor wraps it up. He says, so when did you break this? Oh, uh, two days ago. Well, it looks like it's been like healing you broke it. Month. Yeah, it yeah. looks like it's been healing for a month. Right. Oh, so there probably is some of that working on them as well. I mean, they saw the snark wars. They saw a lot of death, you know, first few issues when they were fighting with the, the snarks. They've seen a lot of death. They've seen a lot of stuff. And I mean, you know. That almost makes me wonder, and this is me coming at this as not a dedicated reader of Power Pack, but whether that healing ability extends to them psychologically a little as well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if they can handle, especially Katie, seeing a half-naked Wolverine here and in the snow in X-Men 205. Oh, this was barely a naked Wolverine. He had a midriff. Yeah, in, yeah, in 205, he was he had a boot and shorts. Yeah, that, that's, a lot that of, was that's, a, that's a lot of furry man. Yeah. You know, we're kind of, kind of going all over my different notes and stuff. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we kind of get into our, our final thoughts? I definitely want to talk about uh, uh, how Annalie, if, you know, that scene, how it affected us. When you guys read that, did you guys get choked up? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Annalise, she's she's a flawed character. Her decisions haven't always been the greatest ones, and I'm coming at this mostly as, you know, an X-Men fan. But the fact is, she was undeniably an innocent. She was someone whose intentions, at least, were always good. And the fact that we don't see her die, the fact that we just only see her as she's already dead, mm -hmm. that's rough. Like, we discover her as the power pack does, and it's just devastating. I don't know if you've seen all of their interactions with power pack, but... 
yeah, Annalie is incredibly flawed. And, you know, her bad ideas when she first kidnapped Power Pack, when she's told, you can't do that. They will like you, but you can't steal them. But you have a child here that loves you and wants your love. His name is Leech. That ugly, disgusting thing. And Power Pack 19, the Thanksgiving, she locks Leech in a cupboard because Power Pack invited them to go over to dinner and she wants to go see her grandkids and she doesn't want this nasty Leech following her. Yeah, she likes her pretty grandkids, not her. And it is rough it takes a lot it takes cloak and dagger and alex basically saying you've got to wake up lady this kid loves you and you need to recognize this and like you know leech is running through new york during macy's day parade in winter in winter wearing a sackcloth just to be and with annalee and to make sure she's okay clothes that he's back to wearing in this issue yeah, they yeah. didn't. They didn't. They didn't pull that forward. I didn't notice that. But yeah, that, that I, I think maybe it was laundry day, and his uh, loaned out Jack clothes were. Uh, well, were, that, that were, were, in the, were in the wash. Yeah, uh, at the end of that episode, uh, Power Pack gives them a bunch of their old clothes, and it's like the first time that Leech is dressed, and he looks so happy, and it's so cute. Oh man, <laughs> he's a freaking house elf. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <pretty> much. <clears throat> yeah. Leech free. <laughs> Dopey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say, and uh, from what I understand, we're okay talking about things that happen in the future as long as they're not power pack spoilers. Sure. Mm-hmm. Leech actually has, I'm not going to say a bright future because it's the Marvel Universe and everything goes wrong continually, but Leech does okay in the future. Leech is going to be all right. Leech is just fine. Leech, uh, he's in Future Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. His best friend is Franklin Richards, a god. Yeah. <laughs> Small G. <laughs> most of the time <laughs> yeah Annalie's death did get to me but what really really got to me was uh leech the the mama loves leech yes. mama loves leech and literally the first time that i read that i'm like dang it louise simonson you get my heart i'll you know get the old choking going on oh, again two so issues in a that. row yeah so that was the first time that i read through it and then the second time that i read through it i was a little bit in my cups and i i, I cried yeah. I literally did. It was just like, so, and even, even in this reading of it, you know, I was like, read it a third time and I'm like, yep. And this reading, I'm like, poor leech. Yeah. So it, yeah. The, just the, the, the leech, uh, mama loves leech just killed me. Yeah. You, you know, we joked about it before that uh, power pack was a little insensitive telling him that, you know, he was, that she <laughs> yeah. was dead. Wolverine was very Wolverine in his right. telling, which was just right. horrible, but power but, pack was not yeah. good. With but at the same time, the fact that they all came around him yeah, and all were there. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. their, their delivery was bad. Their follow through was, was good. Great. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's like, I'm going to give you the bad. I'm, hi, we're ripping off the bandaid. Yeah. Here's the hug. So, eh, you mm-hmm. know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that they said your mom's dead. Pat, Pat, yeah. Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go. Props for them for at least getting yeah. the follow through. You know? And I really do love that scene. Well, for a lot of reasons, it certainly uh, choked me up as well. But I especially love the way that another one of Louis Simonson's characters, Cyclops, is there to witness it, is there to see that yes. family connection, that comfort, and to realize, oh, man, I really screwed up, didn't I? Like, this is how family is supposed to work. And this mm-hmm. is chosen family, not biological family. And now I'm thinking about what I did to my biological family, how 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 dirty I'm doing my chosen family mm-hmm. as well. It's a special writer who can develop the book that's cameoing in the book you're reading. Yes. Uh, it works It works so well. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who's very familiar with X-Factor, like, yes, during this time, that was exactly the way Cyclops was. Mm-hmm. And so for him to get, for him to learn so much from a bunch of little kids fits beautifully. It, it is interesting. That is one of the other outcomes of 
the mutant massacre that came up was Cyclops realizing, hey, I got to quit lying to Gene. I got to quit lying to myself. I walked away from my family. My wife is out there. My kid is out there. I don't know what's going on. And that's one of the things I love about the Power Pack. They're so good at presenting just an example of how to do this kind of thing right. I mean, right. not all the time. I know their parents go through uh, some stuff as the series right. goes on. But overall, they try really, really hard. And that's hard to argue with, you know? It's a good family dynamic. And it's something that I think Louise Simonson did well. And when she leaves the book, John Bogdanov picks up on it and does well as well. Is that there's a good core family dynamic. And you're you pointed out rightly so. We're not big fans of Fantastic Four. Louise Simonson writes Fantastic Four kind of as bad parents, especially in <laughs> compared to Power Pack's parents. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, we love our son Franklin, but we're really interested in this shiny object over here. So <laughs> the fact that it, you know, they, they compare and contrast the two between each other, it, it's another thing to think about. Yeah. Going going back to your Cyclops, so really quickly, I do love the bit, and it has always stuck with me that he picks up Leech and takes off his visor. Yeah. And for Cyclops... That's a big deal. His force beams are always on. It is a big deal. I mean, he doesn't... You know, during the Dark Phoenix saga, or during the Phoenix saga of early X-Men, where, you know, powerful, strong Phoenix says, I will control your, your, your optic blast, and you can take off your visor. He was hesitant to do that. He doesn't... Pardon the pun. He doesn't even blink before he takes off his visor as he's holding Leech because... He's he knows that he, Leech is going to cancel his powers, and Leech needs that human touch. And that's the thing. Cyclops' decisions tend to be awful, but the fact <laughs> is, Scott Summers is a dad, and we, we very much see him in that role right here. He's, in a way, abandoned his wife Madeline and his son Nathan Christopher, but he still has those instincts, and I really appreciate that they're on display here, that we learned that as much as Scott Summers has screwed basically everything up at this point in continuity— he's still a good dude, and mm -hmm. when it comes down to it, he still can be a good father figure. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people not Cyclops fans. I know Rick is a, a perpetual Cyclops apologist. I like Cyclops, uh, but yeah, I, I do see him for all of his faults, which are yeah. plentiful. Especially in this era. I know Chris Claremont has talked extensively about how angry he was that editorial mandate said that Scott had to leave his wife and his child to go join X-Factor. Claremont felt that that was really out of character, and I agree that it was, but I gotta say, Louise Simonson took that took those lemons and made the best lemonade she mm -hmm. possibly could. Yes. Let's just, we, we spent a lot of time talking on this, and we could keep going, uh, but let's move forward. I'm gonna really quick go through my library card, uh, because I was having a hard time finding some literature in this comic book. I did find a couple of things. I just thought it would be kind of fun to see if there was any books out there that matched up to the new names that the kids said for themselves. I didn't look for Destroyer because blah. <laughs> <laughs> That's too easy. But Mistress of Destiny or Mistress of Density. I looked up Mistress of <laughs> Destiny and I found a book, 1976, gothic romance book by somebody named Bettina Kingsley. I did not read this book because I didn't want to spend money on ordering it, <laughs> and it's not on any kind of uh, other reader. So, mm -hmm. But from what I could find, it was, um, you know, I'm not even going to read it. It's just a gothic romance. It looks kind of interesting. But there is a book out there called Mistress of Destiny. I looked up Star Streak, and this was a little more interesting, and I wish I could have found this book because this is actually kind of cool. It's an anthology book. 1979, Betty Owen was the editor. And it was a Scholastic Books anthology that had about 10 different stories in it. There's a story by Don Stewart called Whose Goes There. Uh, 
let me get down here to the end. Uh, Does a Bee Care by Isaac Asimov. Um, there was a Robert Sil- Robert Silversberg book or a story in there. It's just a big anthology of different space themed stories. I'm like, you know, I'd actually like to look that up. It's a 1979 Star Streak Stories of Space. So I'm going to keep my eye out for that mm-hmm. one. I think that would be kind of cool. I just want to do something really quick. I'm going to get through really quickly because we're having more fun talking to Miles anyways. But let's see if we can bust through Science Corner really quick. In this honestly terrifying issue, we are introduced to the marauder named Harpoon. He has the ability to convert his harpoons into thrown energy weapons. So, is this possible? Can you convert matter into energy? The answer is yes. Ordinary matter consists of protons and neutrons and electrons. Fortunately, electrons and protons, and nuclei, are stable particles so they do not decay and transform into energy. However, nuclear fission and nuclear fusion do transform some small fraction of the matter into energy. Practical examples of nuclear fission are atom bombs and nuclear reactors. Nuclear fusion, on the other hand, takes place in the center of the sun. In fact, it is not just nuclear fusion and fission that can transform matter or mass into energy. Anytime energy is produced, some small amount of matter or mass is converted into energy. In ordinary chemical processes, the amount of energy is relatively small, compared to the nuclear cases, and it will be completely negligible and will be far too small to measure. And that is this week's Science Corner. Very nicely done, sir. Yes, indeed. Let's go to our refrigerator gallery. For those of you not initiated, we have this giant, giant refrigerator that we like sticking a bunch of really cool artwork to. And it's getting full, but we add more to it. By the way, you can find this refrigerator on our website, jeffandrickrosette.wordpress.com. So, gentlemen, do you guys have some funny, funny, funny ones that you would like to share with us? Miles. You're our guest. All right, so for me, and there were a lot of options here, but for my number one, I really have to go for page 22, panel six, which is after Julie has done her Julie hammer and has been batted aside by Arclight, she's just slammed into a wall, and there's a Julie-shaped hole in the wall that she's just stuck right in the back of. <laughs> I'm a sucker for that for that trope in cartoons. It actually reminds me a lot of this old Nintendo Wii game called Muscle March. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, where you had to uh, burst through walls. You were chasing someone, and they would pose in certain ways and create a person-shaped hole in the wall, and you had to move your remote and your nunchuck to have your arms be in the same position so you could <laughs> go through the holes they made. It made me think of that, and I like that game, and I like that cartoon trope, and I like Julie Power, so that's my number one. Okay, I like that. I like that one a lot, and that is a funny one. I mean, through, once she gets hit there by Arclight, she's just there the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's she doing in there? She's probably taking nappy time. She, uh, <laughs> she's like a super dense, so it didn't hurt too much. But I think she was taking a slight breather. But then again, she has a yeah, she has Jack's power set, and Jack would oftentimes be like really low in the initiative order and sometimes skip turns. So maybe cloud-based powers are kind of like it has a refresh time. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, Strength, not dexterity. These things happen. There you go. There you go. Jeff, what do you have? My backup joke is on page 24. So the very last page. And it's the uh, bottom kind of two images. And it is, I call it stinky regifting. And it is when <laughs> Jack is returning his shredded, smoldering wings back to Alex going, thanks, I don't want them. (laughs) It's smoke lines, but I call it, I'm going to call it stink lines because it is just the smoldering wreckage of these wings. And I thought it was hilarious. I was going to mention mine. Mine is on page number 15 and it's the plop. 
Oh, Plop is fantastic. <laughs> Which this is this is where the kids are flying over to to see Leech, and you know so we've got three of our flyers. They're going over there, and they hit that area destruction zone the leech of Leech's, the leech barrier and they all fall down and the plop sound effect is it's not didactic i, I don't know but the plop sound effect has teeth and a tongue sticking yeah. out and the, it's just oh yeah it's an actual it kind is of face. so weird yeah. because i haven't seen anything like that I know, in, it is hilarious that but was, this was on my list perfect. it's yeah. it's a nice refresher after the horror we have yeah. seen in this book right. so yeah. I'm always curious whether sound effects in a given book are done by the letterer or by the penciler. I have no idea which it's done by here, though. I want to say it's the penciler. I don't know. That, that'd that be an interesting question yeah, to ask. I, we're going to, at some point in time, we're going to get John Bogdanov on. We need to yeah. add that to our list of questions we want to ask him. <laughs> uh, we are back in the order to you, sir. Do you have another funny one? I do indeed, and I have to go for page 13, the first panel, which is the kids all skidding to a stop in the exact same pose after they hear Wolverine. Yeah. Like, yeah. all of them have yeah. their one foot that they're skidding on, their other foot behind them, except for Julie, who's just, like, sort of, nope, 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 star streaking out of the way, oh, Terry Franklin. Uh, get, get, that, that's yeah, that's Katie, Katie that's yeah. Katie, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they are uh, all right, like, back, left, leg like, skid. It's just in so In response to the, the big ol' snicked in the dark. Which, honestly, if you hear a snicked in the dark, like, yeah, you should probably stop what you're doing and reevaluate. <laughs> Either that or turn around and go the other way. That's the reason go, Alex going, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's not a good sound. <laughs> no, Nobody's no. ever happy when they hear that sound. If Wolverine is showing up in your story, your story's probably going to yeah. be pretty rough. Yeah. Sir, my first place joke one is on page 17, and I call it Sleepyhead. And this is where uh, Ghost Franklin is on perched on top of Arclight's head, and uh, she's looking up at him, and he's in her hair. So, and uh, I just I just thought that was very funny, just to have a little kid standing on a head, and, and this uh, big muscly lady looking up like, "What's on my head?" So, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good use of his power. Yeah, Franklin once again. He can distract, and oh, it's a time. perfect distraction. It's yeah. just right there, and yeah, our class. Well, especially if you, yeah, especially if you don't know what it is, you just have some kid looking down at you from your head, you know, going, "Go back to Yancey Street." And can we just say, and Yahoo? Thank, thank you, Franklin. If you're going to to, to pull in one of your family, oh, uh, pull in Ben, pull in the thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, by Always far the most well adjusted. Oh yes. Yeah. What's he? What's he gonna? What's it, how's he gonna quote Johnny from that? I was like, hey, flame what's, on. What's numb? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm so. You seeing anybody? <laughs> I'm Johnny Storm. <laughs> but I know I you're like a it. homicidal murderer, but I do like that off the shoulder look. <laughs> I'm gonna go to page thirteen, and this is the Council of Eyes. Yep. Uh, it, it's a it's a visual audio joke uh and it's yep. just the kids it's it's jack and alex who understand what we're doing it's i yep. a-y-e and it's katie i as in me and franklin as in i as in my eyeball yeah. <laughs> I, I love how yes d- determine the faces are of alex and uh, jack and uh, yeah katie's like I, I don't know what the word I'm saying, but I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, and then, yeah, and Franklin is just like, I don't understand any of this, but we're saying a, a word. I, this is my saying. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one I went with because I found it hilarious. It's a good one. All right, going back around, let's go for our best. What mm-hmm. is the one that we think is just the best artwork in this book? Sir, Miles, 
So I don't know that I'd want to put this on a refrigerator because I would be sad and scared, but I feel like that's kind of the deal with this issue. Like, you're sad or you're scared, or maybe mm-hmm. you're briefly amused on the way to becoming sad or scared. So the backup best panel I had was probably on page 14. It was panel 5, and that was when the kids find Annalise's corpse. Uh, Same yeah. one I had for my backup. Oh, yes. yeah. Because I actually really appreciate this panel. I appreciate the composition because we see, you know, in the foreground just this this horrible scene of tragedy, and the kids are only in the background, and they're in monochrome, as is often used in this issue. I like Glennis Oliver's color choices in that regard. It really puts the focus where it should be. But I appreciate that they just show a trickle of blood coming from her mouth, and a pool of blood sort of non-specifically under her, mm-hmm. and they managed to get across the finality of her death without unnecessary gore. And I think in a kid's comic especially, that is absolutely the way to do it. I'll tell you exactly how they sell it, though. It's that blood. The blood shines. It's there. There's streaks in it. It's it's simple thing. It's like it's mostly black with streaks of red, but it gives a depth and a shine to it. What does it for me is the uh, disheveled glasses on her head because yeah. anybody who's a glasses wearer, uh, Rick is, I am, I don't know if you do. No. No. Uh, if your glasses are uh, like off kilter on your face, you fix them. It doesn't really matter what. And so having them, you know, them just being really offset off of her, they're basically on her cheek. It's kind of like, yeah, uh, she's done. Right. Yeah. Because so often in comics, you know, death doesn't mean anything, but this panel makes it very clear visually. Like, no, this death this death is real. Right. There's nothing else we need to say. Over to you, sir. What's your backup? My backup is on page 18 and I call it harpoon power. It's on the uh, very bottom right. And this is after er, harpoon has thrown one of his energy harpoons and Alex intercepts it. Uh, He's all, you know, powered up and he's, you know, that's when he's doing his make my day quote and everything. And it's it's just great because again, Rick would kind of call it. It's got the interesting lighting going on. He's glowing. and He he almost has a Phoenix aura about him. But yeah, I just thought it was a really good looking panel. And uh, I just love the fact also that he caught an energy harpoon instead of an actual harpoon because that would have been a bad day for Alex. Yeah, that'd be a bad day. All right. Best one, because we both had the same backup one. So what was your best one, sir? My best one is, once again, a panel I would not necessarily put on my refrigerator, especially if children were coming over. And that's actually page 10 panel one it's another dark one and in this in the background we see these monochrome almost beigeous beigeous yellowish whitish kids spiraling Mm -hmm. down the shaft in the background almost like some kind of a dna double helix and in the foreground we see these again monochrome blue corpses of humans of mutants and green alligator corpses and for me it works well because it's symbolic of what we're seeing It shows how naively optimistic and small these kids are against the magnitude of the horrors that are down here. They went down here to save their friend. They went down here assuming, oh, it's going to be great. We're heroes. It's going to be fine. And this panel shows us, no, no, it is not going to be fine. Maybe they can do some good, but they cannot fix this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they can be heroes in their own way, but they're not going to, yeah, they're not going to save the day. They can, they can salvage part of the day. Yeah. No, that's a good panel. That is. What do you have as your number one? My number one is on page 20, and I call it G-Power Punch. Yeah, and this is a uh, bottom half spread, and this is when Jack uh, G-forces up his fist and lays out Arclight, and I think that is just a fantastic piece of art. We went through a lot with saying, is it really reasonable that these kids could take out these guys? Yeah. 
And you look at this picture and you're like, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> they got the power to do it. It, it's just making sure it connects, and yeah. he does there. That was my uh, very close third place right okay, there. Just yeah. a very serious look on Jack's face. Oh, yeah. And the saw... fact that Arclight is just being almost doubled over by yeah. the impact. Yeah, she 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 done. <laughs> yeah, that I just, I just, there's a lot of good art in this, but yeah, that one was just like, yeah, this is my number one. This is great. Yeah, for my number one, I'm going to have to go back, page 13, and this is the picture of the kids, and it's the dark picture that follows up the one where Annalie is dead. Yeah, it's the bottom right of the panel. Yeah. And it's all black in the background, and you see the different looks on the kids' faces. Mm -hmm. There is composition to this picture that just shows how each kid is dealing with it. And we talked about it a lot before of just how much words, how many words can you actually get in there that you can see these kids dealing with things on their own way. It's fantastic. Yeah, especially, yeah, you get... um Julie's being supportive for uh, yeah Katie and Franklin, but all three of them are in tears. And then Alex has a very you know determined we will we will win kind of look, and Jack has a look of like, so I guess I need to go kill a fool. (laughs) So yeah, it is yeah it it is a good panel. This this was on this was in my top. This was in my list of uh, go tos, and yeah, this is a good looking panel. Let's move to rubber and glue moments. What are your best or most childish insults? Because guys. We need some childish insults in this deep, dark book. Yes, we do. I suspect my backup, uh, I may not be the only one, but I had a lot of love for for Alex telling Jack near the beginning of the issue as they raced to their bunk beds. (laughs) Last one there is a wrinkled worm. Yeah, Yeah, that was a fun (laughs) one. That's a good one. I like that. It's just yeah, so visual. It is yeah. great. I love that one. And at the same time, I'm like, Alex, nobody says that. And Alex yet, does. Alex is so square. Yeah, yes. Alex sells it. He, yeah, he says sells that it. one. He sells it. He pulls it off. I think really he's well. pretty sure that that's a commonly used phrase yeah. among the youth. Yeah, he's yes. like, the kids say this. Don't worry, I'm hip. See, <laughs> unlike unlike my backup one, which is more of the, yeah, this is what kids say. It's when Jack says to Alex, what are you, chicken? <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's on page 10 basic but legit <laughs> yeah it's it's simple it's classic and it's jack what are you chicken yeah yeah there's there's a lot of good classics in this one what do you got my backup is also near the beginning of the book and it's on page two and it's a it's a jack one and it's after uh you know he's degravitized uh alex in the bedroom and stuff and alex is chewing on him and jack's all hey thought of that and you acted like i was dumb and now you fix it so i look even dumber but just the follow-up to that is amazing after he tosses alex on the bed because he's all you know alex you stink (laughs) just you stink is just such a classic kid one just so great i really am going to be surprised if we don't all have the same one for Uh, number one okay i don't i i will be surprised but what do you got? Is it on page 17? Is it on page 17? Uh, you know, um, I actually didn't write down the page number, but mine is actually a self-own by Scott Summers. Oh! Oh, I almost did that. Cause, yeah, I was just very no, much like, no, no, no. it's like Scott, yeah, Go Scott ahead. tears into himself. Yeah. So... I realize when I say that this is a period that Scott Summers is angsty, I could be referring to almost the entirety of the Marvel Universe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so you mentioned Scott. (laughs) Exactly. But at this point in his history, Scott is exceptionally angsty. He blames himself for everything that's happening. The reason that they're down here in the tunnels in the first place is because he was a jerk to the team's young ward, Rusty Collins, and they chased Rusty down here after Rusty ran away. Scott's lied to Gene about being married. He's abandoned his wife and his child. Scott's made 
made all of the bad decisions, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh And so as Scott sees all of these children hugging the crying leech, the scene that we talked about a fair bit earlier, he says to Jean Grey, The Scott you used to love had integrity, didn't he? Well, that guy is dead. And what's left is a darn poor substitute. I don't like him much either. Oh, Scott. Yeah. We are always our own harshest critics, and nowhere is that truer than in this ruby quartz-clad gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> no, that w- that w- that was on my list. It was. I'm like, okay, I'm putting this one in, but then it got it got topped out. It got nudged yeah. out. But that, yeah, that is a fantastic one. Fair enough, sir. I like it. <laughs> what do you guys have? I think we have the same one. It's uh, go ahead. <laughs> is it on page seventeen? And is it Franklin on top of ArcLight's head? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, go back to Yancey Street, you Yahoo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Go back to Yancey Street, Street, you Yahoo. Yahoo. Uh huh. Pulling yeah. out the thing, the the smallest Fantastic Four member slapping down a thing. Uh huh. Anytime you can thing quote thing quote is what it always boils down to in my I, world. View. I gotta say, yeah. I feel like we should really all work this quote into our day to day lives. I feel like we yeah. can benefit. Yeah. Next uh, time I see my boss. Yeah. <laughs> He's <laughs> from Germany. He really would be confused. Yeah, like, well, why wouldn't Franklin quote his father? Oh, because his father's not around. We don't have that much time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sue my darling. And that just doesn't fit in well into most conversations. Oh, that fool, yeah. Richards. Yeah, it's like it's like if Miles just like oh, Miles spilled my beer. Sue, my darling. <laughs> no, you can't it's do Miles, that. Miles, my darling. Come yeah. on, Miles, be, my darling. Be a little respectful yeah. of our guest. <laughs> oh man, being treated like a female Silver Age character—that's not a fate I would wish on anyone, especially female Silver Age characters. <laughs> Let's talk about best and worst of characters. What do you have? Let's start with you. We've, oh, really? Let's, let's bring it over to you. Okay. My worst is Miles, because apparently he's going to replace me on our show. He just has a better beard. <laughs> I mean, Fine. yours isn't a couple of braids. Mine yeah. isn't no braids. I feel like there are multiple factors upon there, which we should judge this. There's a big judging factor, yeah. <laughs> no. My worst was, can anybody say surprise, surprise? Pick up your small hat that popped off your head. It's Alex. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Yeah. I, do we have do we have around the board Alex on this yeah. one? We do. We do. Yeah, Alex. Okay. How come? Uh, but after 26 issues of telling Katie how to use her energy power, he just sucked. Kill, kill, kill. Faster, faster, Katie. Kill, kill, kill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alex is, he, he's, he's pretty hypocritical here. I mean, okay, to be fair, I have sympathy for Alex. He's never had to walk the walk before. Mm-hmm. He had a power where he didn't have to walk the walk, and now he does, and he's having a hard time getting used to it. But at the same time... Come on, dude. You're the oldest. You've seen how Katie deals with this. Like, I'm just saying. For me, obviously, there were many reasons why Alex is is the worst of this. But what really got me was uh, after the family reunion and then the title page and then they're going into the uh, sewer tunnels. They're flying to the tunnels. Uh, and Alex has been moaning the loss of his of his G powers, and he's all, you know, I used to not have to be dragged around by a stupid girl all the time. I had wings I invented, and I'm kind of like, hey, Alex, shut your yap, because you got dragged around by your sister all the time previously to you having wings. So you going, I never had to do, yeah, you did. You, you did, did, you did, you did, you did. You know it. Also, come on, Alex, have some respect for the ladies. I know yeah. you're a child, but like, still. 
Yeah, it, and it was just he was just grumping about everything, and yeah, you know, it's just like, oh, Jack, take my. I don't want your wings. Take the wings. You will need them to save us in our play. I don't want these things. They're dumb. I don't need. Take them. You know, it's just, just yeah. Just, just do your job. You have two jobs. Disintegrate. Yeah. Expel. Yeah. Make it go do away, it. and then boom it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Enough said on that. Other side of the coin. Best. Kofi. <laughs> Friday, I just love the two of them. And Fridays, Friday, in critical. Yeah, <laughs> Kofi. Friday's pulling through. He, uh, I'm giving, it, I'm giving it to Friday just due to the fact Kofi, that Kofi uh, back on Snark World. Yeah, try again. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, my best is Jack, and I wouldn't be surprised if everybody says Jack as well. I got Jack as well. Yeah, that's uh, three for three for wow, Jack. Yeah, we, we are on the board yeah, here. Yeah, full table. We got all the chairs. Yeah. No, actually, this is different than that. that that's uh, where we have different things all around. Oh, this, is, yeah, okay. this is, we are matching up all the way yeah, on this one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go I, ahead, sir. I, I was surprised because normally Katie Power is my favorite and Julie Power is my firm second place. But Jack does great this issue. Yeah. He comes up with unique ways to use these powers that are very new to him. Mm -hmm. He does it very, very well. He uh, gives Glynis Oliver a chance to draw him in three separate color schemes as mm -hmm. he uses his powers in different ways. Yep. And I've read enough Power Pack to know that Jack is usually basically an aggressive jerk. And yeah. in this, he is less of an aggressive jerk. And I have to give him credit for that. And where he needs to be aggressive, he is aggressive. Yeah. He recognizes that he is up against killers and he doesn't hold back. He does. He's like, I need to damage this person. How can I do that with my powers? This is how. Yeah. I also love the fact uh, a big, 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 big one for me is the fact that it's like, hey, my kind of surrogate little brother is here. He's in my bed. He's getting my teddy bear. You know, that is a big uh, one for me. Another thing, too. There was the scene where. Franklin's scared in the tunnels yeah. and he oh. can't, he can't settle down. He can't yeah. calm down to use his own powers. And Jack, Jack doesn't him. come up to him. Like Alex would and says, use your powers. Where's my wife? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't kill my wife. It's, you know, he doesn't come shaking. Hey Franklin, I know you're scared, but you know, we really need Fran leech. Can, can you just try to yeah. calm down and think that's some compassion level oh, yeah. for me. I mean, he understands what's going on. He may be brash. He may be, you know, the antagonistic one, but he also is, he understands dire situations. Oh, he yeah. understands how to get through a lot of things. But he was also that's constant with his character. Yeah, but he was also good and comforting where it needed it. And yeah. he also, you know, near the beginning when, uh, you know, uh, the leech projection is happening in their bedroom and Alex is like, wow, maybe leech has a projection power too. And Jack's like, you don't be dumb. No, it's 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 Franklin's uh, power working around Leech's no power zone. It's he brought them there here instead of looking there. So ah yeah. So he he did a lot of good. Yeah, he was fantastic. All right, I, that was easy to get through that. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff, you have G's. I do have G's. I have two G's. You can find two G's in this issue. And also in Jack's G-hard fists, pounding out double G vigilante justice to marauders and evildoers everywhere. He's throwing fists. He is. He threw lots and lots of fists. So yeah, so what we got is two G's. Our average is back up to 1.14, which is just higher than the uh, surface gravity of Neptune. And that gives us a grand total of 31 G's, which is three G's higher than the surface gravity of the sun. Nice. Yeah, I know. Yeah, See, Alex kicked we're, out we're, a couple. We're, we're, we're flying through this. We're flying through this now. Yeah. Flying through this now. We need to rank this on the list of the best and the worst of all-time power pack issues. I know this is going to be hard for you, sir, but we value your opinion. 
Top one is Power Pack 25. It's a double-sized issue of Power Trip where all their powers got switched around in the middle of Star Wars. It was an amazing issue. And like we said, uh, Thor 363. I know you love Thor. It's a bad Power Pack issue. So Good Thor, bad Power Pack. Is all what do we think about this issue? Do, is this a good issue? Well, if we're looking at it in terms of how good of a power pack issue it was, which I completely agree with. Again, I love Thor, but I will agree that wasn't a great use of the power pack. I feel like this is a pretty dang good use of the power pack. You know, we get to know these characters a little better. We have some of the power pack supporting cast front and center, but it also showcases their place within the Marvel Universe. It shows how they can deal with these threats that are just terrifying compared to the adventures that they often, not always, but often have. So... Having not read all of Power Pack, I would certainly rank this, I don't know about the best Power Pack story ever, but certainly in the uh, upper half. Yeah, I'd definitely say it's a high one. It's right. a good, good issue. Another thing that's interesting is this is tied into a you know, multi-issue uh, crossover event when that was kind of a new thing. It does not feel heavy-handed with its tie-in. It makes sense. It's logical. You know? Leech is a character that they've met before. Franklin has prophetic dreams. There's a reason for them to go there. There's a reason for them to be involved. And it works, which you've seen other kind of crossovers where like, wow, really? That's how we're tying in the Beyonder to Spider-Man? Oh, man. Secret Wars 2. That, that's a thing. So, so, you know, that in and of itself, I think it's a good issue. And it's a good, you know, introductory issue. So we're probably looking at, you know... Let's say top 10 here. Let's start yeah, top, definitely 10. top 10. Here I we almost, go. I almost it, want to put it in the top five. Um, number six is it was a dark and stormy night, which is one of the first ones where mm-hmm. they're dealing with Annalise. That's the yeah. uncanny X-Men one. Um, I think it's above that too. So I top agree. Five. I fully agree. Yeah. Um, do we think that it actually is below guess who's coming to dinner? Oh man, that is a hard one. It is definitely around there. Uh, Everybody loves Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It's yeah, the I'm, Thanksgiving I don't think, Day I don't special. Think, I don't think I'm willing to put it above that. Yeah, but I think I think that I, I think I can put that above Rescue. Rescue, for you, uh, this is the one where it was a Jack-centric episode where they're up in space. It's the first time they get kidnapped by the Snarks. It's a Jack-centric episode, and it's really good. It's issue yeah. number four. So I think and that's been a good one for a long time. Yeah. But I think what's starting to kind of bump down by this really good run. So we'll say this is the new number three. I'd fully agree. New number three. I feel great about that. I'm happy to be here for the new number three. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good issue. It's an amazingly good issue. Kind of rereading these, it's like, hey, this is some good stuff. This is a good era of power pack that we've got going on here. One more thing we got here for our rankings is let's talk about the fatality. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys think of this? This has been a good drink. It's a really good beer, and uh, I had to recheck the can partway during the during the show because I'm like, I bet this has a pretty high ABV. Oh, 11.5. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it yeah, does. This is you a pretty. This is a pretty happy beer. Yeah. But I feel like with a story like this, with as many dark things as are going on, we need some alcoholic lubrication to fully process this. I feel a little bad for the power children that none of them are even remotely 21. They just have to deal with it completely sober. Yeah, this would be yucky to them right now. I got to say, this is for being a strong, Mm -hmm. very heavy 11.5, very imperial stout beer. It's smooth and it 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 felt smooth smooth throughout the entire drink. Usually kind of near the end of it, it's like... I'm really struggling through these last few drinks. No, I'm willing. I, I finished mine off and I opened up the fourth can we had here. Uh, 
Yours is done. I'm I am on the dregs of mine because I I wanted to have some left over for the uh, for the beer talk. <laughs> so I, I'm because it smells good. It tastes good. It it smells definitely like an imperial stout, and it tastes. It, I, it this might be one of the smoothest imperial stouts I've ever had. Although I I think for a smoothness factor and kind of getting that little bit of that kind of imperial stout tart mm-hmm. uh, out, uh, I prefer the previous one, the Finisham. Okay. I found that one to be smoother, well, yeah, and easier on the tongue. But uh, at this the has same got time, the bourbon barrel. Yeah, this has it. got the yeah, this has got the barrel in it. This is this is really good. It is. Normally, I'm very much an IPA drinker. I want my beer to fight me. I want it to oh. be uncertain whether I or the beer will win. <laughs> but I'm kind of coming around to stouts and porters and things that are maltier, but not too malty. And I think this is a uh, a large chunk of evidence to uh, push me a little bit more in that direction. Okay, that's funny because me and Rick are both really heavy stout drinkers, mm-hmm. and we've had to drink a lot of IPAs for the show because of, you know tie into the uh, to, to the theme. And uh, we've had so it's just kind of like yeah, we don't like IPAs, but this is a really good IPA. So we're starting to get that kind of like mm, I like that. Yeah, I, I appreciate yeah. it. You know, we're, we're exposing ourselves to new comics and new beers. And I feel like in Portland, Oregon and the surrounding areas, those are kind of your two best bets. Yeah, I'm going to say for myself, I'm giving this a four and a half. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's hard for me to get that five. No, uh, yeah, I no, mean, no. I have to I have to kind of hear angels sing at this point for me to get a five. But I am willing to say four and a half. If this was something I could get again, I would. Yeah, my fight was between four and four and a half. And yeah, I'd go four or five. Yeah, I mean, as somebody f- who's still getting used to stouts, like I've had a few, but I haven't liked all that many, I'm going to go ahead and give it a four. But for me, giving a stout a four is a big deal, yeah, and I that's... do want to get that across. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I understand that. It You have, and it's perfectly fine, you have your flavor profiles. We're not IPA, fan, IPA fans. There are IPA fans out there. They like things that we found acceptable. So it, we respect it completely. Yeah. But I like that. I like that very much. No, no. So we all agree. Uh, whatever <laughs> this is called, uh, <laughs> fatality by level beer is uh, that's a winner on us fours and four and a halves. Recommended. Up next is kids' perspective, and that's where Rick talks to his daughter Carrie about what went on in this issue of the Power Pack comic. So, Rick and Carrie, could you please talk to one another and share that talking with us? Hi, Carrie. How are you doing? Good. Good. What did you think about this issue? Kind of dark. Why do you say it's dark? Because people like like Anna Lee mm-hmm. die. How'd that make you feel? Sad. Did you cry? No. Did you feel like you're gonna cry? Kind of. Okay. Glad I wasn't Anna Lee. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad too. <laughs> I'm glad you weren't in the in the sewers with the rest of the kids. Yeah. It was a uh, Pretty intense, right? Yeah. Yeah? A couple parts felt a little scary? Yeah. Did you feel scared for the kids? Yeah. (laughs) How do you think the kids did against those bad guys? I guess they did kind of good because in the end, of course, they did return home. Yeah? But they were up all night. Yes, they were. (laughs) And we didn't actually see them go home, did we? They were heading home, right? Yeah, they were, but we didn't see them go home. Tell me some of your thoughts about this book, besides it being dark and deep. What, you know, tell me what you thought about it. Well, for one thing, the cover does not suit the book. Why do you say that? Well, it kind of does, but yeah, it doesn't why? really happen. No, it doesn't happen, but does it make you think of the things that do happen in the book? Sort of. 
Although it is a little deep, it doesn't show like what how deep it is. You need to explain that a little bit. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know how to explain it. So you, it doesn't happen in the book, but the kids do find Sabretooth, right? Yeah. And they do meet Wolverine, right? Yeah. It kind of is like the book? Yeah. Yeah? Kind of. Kind of. I know it's not direct scene, but it kind of is like it. And it shows that they're underground, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what else did you did we find out about in this book? What else happened in this book that was kind of interesting or important? I was asking if the, um if they told their parents. No, the, they they have not told their parents that they have powers. You already answered that. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of different stuff since they had their new powers. Okay, let's talk about the new powers. Alex is not enjoying his power that much. Okay. Jack is enjoying his power a little too much. Katie is having a nice time with her power. Julie, I think she's about the same with Katie. Yeah. She's still kind of getting used to hers, though, yeah. right? Yeah. And... And, you know, Franklin did not switch. No, Franklin's got his own powers. Yeah, but they did lift him up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about Leech? Sorry for him. Yeah, it's pretty sad. But it looks like he's going to go and be taken care of by who? The Exterminators? Right. We call him X-Factor, too. Right. The the book that they're in is called X-Factor, and I'm kind of used to calling the team X-Factor, but I can see how you would call them the Exterminators. That was kind of a made-up name that they were using. It's kind of confusing, I know. Okay, so you're telling me there's two names. Yes, for the same team. Wow. Yeah, it gets a little <laughs> I can confuse you even more. They were originally the X-Men. So the original X-Men became X-Factor, but they used the t- name X-Terminators to cover the fact that they were X-Factor, which was a mutant hunting group that would hunt people like X-Men. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, there is this page where they meet these other... These people. The Marauders? Yeah, the Marauders. What do you think about the Marauders? I don't know. Are they friendly? No. Why do you say that? Because they're villains. Well, (laughs) kind of like them. They're pretty bad, aren't they? Pretty bad. If you ever met them, you'd be scared, wouldn't you? Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about the uh, Marauders? Well, this one person. Yeah? Looks like she... Arclight. Her name's Arclight. Mm-hmm. Arclight. She looks like she has like these eyes on her. No, it's just kind of like a, a, a it's just her uniform. It's kind of this uh, steel blue kind of color. I know. It just, she looks like she had ice on her. Nah, there's only one ice man and he's in here a little bit. Yeah, you didn't really see him too much. This was especially sad. What part was especially sad? So they found Leech and he wanted his mom, but... But she was already dead. It was pretty sad when he was crying, wasn't it? Yeah. That's how you would react, right? Yeah. So, I promise you, we won't send Mommy into the sewers. Okay. I like that idea. All right. If that's everything, then, thank you very much for your time, Carrie. You're welcome. I love you. Love you, too. Shout out time. We like to recognize those listeners who take the time to write in or leave us a review. This is for episode 31 on issue number 24. When you wish upon a star. Aaron Rausch. Alexander. 
Al Sedano. The Art Classroom. Charles Gears, who pointed out that we are incorrect in our interpretation of how Yurik ended up in the tunnels. He was actually in a prison cell. There were locked cell doors that were keeping him in. The burrowers and Katie enlarged the holes leading into the cell. You know, thanks for clarifying that for us. I really missed that. Yeah, that was honestly one of those things where it was like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, yeah. And so that as an explanation is absolutely perfect and makes perfect sense. So thank you. Charles Miller. Clinton Robinson in the Coffee and Comics podcast. Chris at BTO and Bat Books. C-H-O. Craig McNichols. Colin Stapleton. Damian Drought Witter. Delvin the Dark Web Williams. Dylan A. Lang. Gibson, who says we are his absolute favorite show. Don't worry, we won't tell any of the other shows. It's our little secret. Green Lantern HG. Guy. Jason WWW3. Jason X117. Jeff Polier. Jeremy Daw. John Bogdanov. Let's talk Julie Power. Longbox Crusade. Limax 7. Mark Melton, who loves to listen to us while he does yard work. He also shared some art with us. His friend Mark Marianelli has some pretty cool fan art he did with Power Pack and the Garbage Man. We will share it on our webpage, or you can look at his website, www.6amcomics.com. Mark's Mess Podcast. Max Trevor. Nicholas Brom and the Comic Reflections Podcast. Radioactive Dog Welder. Pat Christados, it is pronounced Oregon Samson. Robert Fish. Ross is just here for the geekery. Sam's Tangled Web. Secret Wars and Beyond. This is the Ed Game. Tim Price. Warlock Thanos Podcast. William with a W. Zach Sally. And we have a new Patreon supporter. Stephen Gray. Thank you, Stephen. Good golly, the great grace and gallantry of Gray. And speaking of Steven, because of the level he joined at, he gets some additional rewards beyond just our humble thanks. These awards will be provided over the next few episodes. This time, we are going to honor Steven's request to have Jeff say a chosen phrase in Jack's voice. And let me tell you, Steven hit it out of the park with this one. Hi, this is the legendary gas master, and I can't come to the telephone right now. I'm probably saving the world or taking a nap or something. Anyways, speak your piece after the beep. Beep. You're welcome. Have Jeff say beep, no cheating with a sound effect. Be sure to check out our other shows that we are on, Rick Meets the Legion, which you can find at Comic Reflections, and our junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rookie Agents episode of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Right now, it's just shirts and stickers around our logo, but we will try and come up with some other fun stuff for our fans. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Miles, would you like to tell people where they can find you? You know, like most of our listeners don't already know who you are. Uh, so I am half of the podcast along with Jay Edidin. Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. You can find us at explainthexmen.com or on any number of podcatchers. We're, we're all over the place over there. So if you want to hear me talk in exhaustive, ridiculous detail about the incredibly convoluted X-Men universe, along with Jay Edidin, who is brilliant and well-read and eloquent, then uh, you can do that there. 
Also, I did a podcast called Thor, The Lightning and the Storm. <laughs> with Elizabeth Alley. That was a very short, I think, 14-episode limited-run podcast about my personal favorite run of comics ever. That being Walter Simonson, the husband of Louise Simonson's hmm. run of The Mighty Thor. We talked through that whole thing. We were very enthusiastic about it, and you can find that at thelightningandthestorm.com or, once again, on whichever podcatcher you prefer. And we have mentioned that show a number of times as well. It's We've crossed over. I've referenced it. It's fantastic. He is fantastic. Jay is fantastic. Ali is fantastic. Listen to their stuff. Jeff and Rick Present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience of three men and a lot of beer in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com. Jeff and Rick present all one word. Please rate and review us wherever you possibly can since iTunes is leaving us. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the wonderful women in our lives. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. And my amazing partner, Anna. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Gathering Darkness. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Oh, don't act, don't act like you're all... It's, it's your new uh, phone. I'm like... Is it, yeah, I got a new, who knew, he, new phone. Who dis? <laughs> uh, he finally got rid of his flip, flip phone. Wow, I had to. Wow. Yeah. Because it... Uh, Luddite! Yeah, it was, ju- it was... The battery was just like... I'm trying. I'm doing my best. What do you want? I I'm need old. To, yeah, it's like, okay, you're fully charged. I am. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Okay. Do you want to make a call? You bet. Could we hang up now? I'm <laughs> it's very down. tired. I need to stop. Can we, I just need I just need like four hours on a charger. Actually, if you plug me in, I'll say I'm full again. Snicked. With the percentage on here and me not being a very big person, this could be an interesting episode that I'm guesting on. <laughs> this is how we play. <laughs> I like when people are talking it's like yeah it's two guys and they drink throughout and you can kind of tell by the end it's like no you yeah. can't yeah you can. <laughs> just get more relaxed uh, I know don't tell me that I already have my own beer cut your own beer get away from mine Snicked. power pack issue number 27 December 1986 whose power credits <laughs> whose power said Ron's house I said whose power Ron's power Snicked. Our powers are still a secret. Okay, so I've listened to your show before, and I know the whole Jack being an old man thing. That's that's not a surprise, but Jeff, seeing you do it in person is truly a thing of beauty. You guys need to get, like, in some kind of a live episode at a convention or something. Like, this has got to happen. Snicked. Till we're the only mutants left alive on Earth. Okay, I gotta do it aside. That is a sweet Scalp Hunter. That Thank is, you. That's what we're always trying to, it's like, what kind of voice does this guy have? Yes, that is Scalp Hunter right there. It's, it's the mustache. The mustache it has is, to yeah. talk like that. That is, that is, that's like, yes, that is Scalp Hunter. I'm so glad. Miles, congratulations. You. you have done it. That is the voice of Scalp Hunter. Not expecting that one at all. I liked it. I like it. I like it. Snicked. Oh, me. Now you guys can move enough. Because <laughs> I got my joke in. Bub, bub, bub.
I'm the best at what I do. But what I do is talk like a, using a voice that would really hurt my throat if I did it for very long. So it's a good thing I've got a healing factor, bub. Hey, Red, you still dating that guy that you're in love with and married? I just basically want to screw up everything I come in contact with. I make terrible decisions, but I'm really cool and marketable. Wait, wait, wait. I'm an old oh. man, but I like teenagers. I, I, I was confused for a second, but you said marketable. I thought you were talking about Cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the X-Men and Judgment are typically not mentioned in the same yeah. sentence. Hey, let's look at every X-Men movie that's been made. I mean, the Wolverine and his amazing friends. <laughs> Snake. Oh, I loved his, the cameo in the last one where it was very just, very much just like, and here is Feral Wolver Weapon X Wolverine with the hat and everything. Yeah. There he is. We'll just get out of his way. Look at him run across stage. <laughs> Exit stage right. Like a majestic gazelle. Yes. <laughs> yes. He was triumphant and majestic and amazing. And there he goes. Snick. Insert Julie. Listen, Leech, we found your mom's body. Annalie's dead. I love. They took over really well. Where they're like, "Don't worry, we got this." Your mom's dead. We found a body. She's a corpse over there. <laughs> it looks like just she's, a, she's just like a heap. It looked like she suffered a lot. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> she looked like she died screaming. Oh, it was awful. If you'd been here, maybe you could have helped, but you weren't. So I guess that's your fault. Yeah, we maybe not. Maybe maybe not. But she was murdered outright. Most foul. Leech, we took selfies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Leech, here's here's one with a kissy emoji. Here's one. Okay, here. Uh, also, uh, this one's just a joke. I put her profile up on Tinder. <laughs> I know. It's just like you kids needed to handle that better. Franklin, the four and a half year old, was he, he was, was on he top, was on of, top it. of it. <clears throat> yeah, oh, this is the Wonder Girl School of Grief Counseling. <laughs> <laughs> They're as good as Wolverine. <laughs> Uh, your mom's dead. Have a uh, beer. Insert Julie. Listen, Leech. We found your mom's body. She's dead, Jim. Snicked. Green lantern. Lantern? Lantern? Lantern. Green lantern. Snicked. It's pretty easy, Rick. He's on uh, Jan Miles Explained the Hexman, which I think is a limited run Virgo title or something. It's about witches. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Snicked. I know you're a homicidal murderer, but I'm only four and a half. <laughs> 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 the line of the show. There we go. 